on the news and why it matters, uh, we have got to talk about the 2020 debates night two because night one wasn't uh, insufferable enough. Uh, we've got Pete Buttigieg ripping conservative Christians. We'll get into that. And we've got Jeremy Dice with uh, uh, First Liberty with us to talk about a religious liberty case you have got to hear about. Obviously, a lot coming up. It starts right now. Obviously, a lot to get into here. First, we want to thank our sponsor, uh, realestateagentsitrust.com. If you are looking to buy or sell a house, no pressure. It's just like, I don't know, the, old, the biggest investment you're ever going to make in your life, unless you're maybe Warren Buffett. Right. And what will you do? You'll probably go on Zillow. Yeah. And like look at a couple of houses and then just like call the person mm -hmm. who's like listed, listed below the house. Yeah. Uh, it's not always the best way of doing it. No. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people go on personal relationships on these things. And for a lot of stuff, you can do that, right? Like if you need a ride to you need a ride to work. That's a great time for a personal relationship. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> in financial transactions. Maybe a time to make sure you're screening through these people. Know them a little bit better than the person you know at Starbucks. Uh, Unless so, you're looking to get rid of a friend who's a realtor, and then true. you could use that as an excuse, but then you're out a lot of money. That's true. So it depends on how bad the friend is. Yes. It may be worth <laughs> it. True. It's fair. It's fair. Uh, but they go through all the uh, sorting process for you, so you don't actually have to think about it. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's Glenn's company. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know if that I don't know if that's selling you or if you're like, oh, all right, <laughs> forget this. I was about to go there. And now, but no, yeah, it's Glenn's company. He took a lot of time putting this together and has a great team. So it's uh, it's really great. Realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, Stu, um, I know we're going to get into kind of a review of Pete Buttigieg and his comments and then uh, the night one mm -hmm. last night. But are you, you're covering night two? Should we start with night one or two? Do you want to start with night one? I'm fine either way. We can do okay. a, a little bit of a preview yeah, let's here do that. in a few minutes. Yeah, let, sure. yeah, let's do that. Let's go over uh, night one. There was a lot a lot there to dissect. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I was very happy uh, for our own Sarah Gonzalez, mm -hmm. uh, the chief cheerleader for Marianne Williamson in America. Uh, <laughs> My girl. <laughs> She's your girl. <laughs> My girl. Uh, it was fun to see her. She did really well, actually. Uh, I actually thought her and Delaney really stood out yep. as, as, you know, because what are you doing here in this round? The important thing is to understand what your goal is, right? If you are a person and you're at zero or one or two percent in the polls, your goal is really just to try to get to that next round of debates. The next round of debates is a much higher standard. You have to be, I mean, two percent in multiple <laughs> polls, guys, two percent, uh, but 130,000 donors, too. Mm -hmm. So like it was a big moment for a guy like Steve Bullock, who had not been on stage at all. It was a big moment for John Delaney, who... He can get plenty of money, but he does not have a lot of donors. He's been self-funding his campaign, and, you know, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, uh, you also throw in guy, people like Tim Ryan and Beto at some level, Hickenlooper. These guys are the very bottom trying to get to that next debate just because if you can't get there, you're pretty much toast, right? This is over for you if you can't get on stage, most likely. Um, so I think what you saw there, I thought Delaney did very well. Um, you know, he, he's not aligned with the party. Uh, in that he's a little too moderate. Mm -hmm. uh, he was talking about things like paying for stuff, um, not <laughs> ripping away uh, private insurance from everyone who likes it. These sorts of things do not That's play crazy. all that well. But there has to be somebody representing the quote-unquote moderate side of this party, which does not seem to exist all that much. I mean, They let him talk a little bit this they, time. But they I did. Mean, this was an incredible. I mean, it was a gift. 
Delaney is a guy who's been at 1% or 2% or 0 in almost every poll. He's been running since 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in the race forever um, and has never had any traction. And they treated him as if he was an equal with Sanders and Warren mm-hmm. for almost the entire first half of that debate. Did you think it was interesting that he made the distinction between himself and everyone else saying that he, they were everyone else was anti-private uh, sector? Yes, I thought that was big. And, and, you know, he leaned into it. I think it was a smart move by Delaney because, look, there are Democrats who do not want socialism. There's a lot of them. Uh, you, you know, Biden obviously leading the pack indicates that. There are people who who think, you know, I, I'd like to have a Democratic view, bigger government, more, you know, more of a safety net, but not craziness. And people like, uh, I'll draw a distinction between uh, Delaney and Klobuchar. Klobuchar is the same uh, the same type of candidate. Uh, you know, when Mike Lee was in here, Mike Lee, we came in here and we said, hey, who is the best uh, on the constitution of this entire field of 25? And he said right away, Amy Klobuchar. Like, she ha- she's Democrat. She's not, we're not going to agree with her on a lot. But, like, I mean, if Mike Lee is sticking up for her view of the constitution, there's something there. But she seems to refuse to lean into it. She's She alludes to her moderate status quite a bit. She alludes to, I'm going to be able to be more electable. Those things are probably true, but she won't. She didn't own it. Delaney owned it last night. He fought with Warren. He fought with uh, Sanders. He said that their plans were unrealistic, that they were you know, way over the top, uh, that people were in the middle of the country weren't going to embrace them. And I think he, he separated himself. I'd say this. If Joe Biden tonight can have the performance that Delaney had last night, this thing's over. Mm. Delaney will cruise to this nomination if he could have that performance level for the rest of this uh, debate schedule. And what I think was interesting was the way that the moderators framed the questions. A lot of times it sort of pitted the moderate candidates Mm -hmm. and targeted them at Warren and Sanders. And so it sort of gave them something to aim at, which I think helped boost his points when he's able to draw that contrast. It seems like they were almost setting it up to where everybody else is pointing in at those two far left people and challenging these policies and challenging how do you pay for it. And you could see Warren and Sanders getting a little bit flustered at times, Mm -hmm. saying, oh, these are Republican talking points and we don't need to be worried about this stuff, like how you pay for things and how you fund stuff. (laughs) Minor details But I think (laughs) They gave him a good bump coming out of it, too, because now all of a sudden he's the only contrast to everybody else that's saying, Mm -hmm. free, 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 free. He says, hold on, where are we going to get the money? Stop yelling about things, right? Right. Uh, and that's going to that'll play well to his strength. Now, if that actually succeeds, you might be able to pull off some moderates in the Democratic Party. But also looking ahead to the general, they've got to they got to speak more than just to the left. And that mm-hmm. may actually be a selling point to things. But as you say, he's got a long way to go before to make that happen. Might not make the third debate. Yeah. And they may, I mean, the snake may eat his tail by doing so. Right. I mean, they're. Do they want that to be the face of the Democratic Party this go around? Yeah, I don't know. They I know. absolutely don't. I don't. I don't think there's any uh, indication they do. I know. And 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 the thing with Del- you know, a couple things working against Delaney, uh, you know, he's coming out of nowhere, right? And I think he did have a good performance, but is that going to be enough? It's the second round of debates, so it's going to be much less watched than the first round. Plus, it's the first night. So people who actually are into this, I think whatever happens tonight is going to overwhelm immediately what happened last night. Yeah. The same story that happened in the, in the in last debate. So he's got an uphill road. But I think, you know, when you're in that position, you have to look at yourself and you say, look, if I'm going to try to win this thing, I need to go for it. And I think he did what he could do. You know, it, it, that's kind of a, that's a tough thing to do. Where Klobuchar, I think, didn't. I mean, she just she does not seem to be able to distinguish herself in any way in these debates. She doesn't leave an imprint. She's just no. kind of hanging in the background and mm-hmm. she's not making a splash to where you remember yeah. her when you think about what happened during that mm-hmm. debate. That's a bad way to win the presidency. It's a good way, however, to win the vice presidency. Absolutely. And I think like that is really what she's looking at right now. I mean, I think her best path to the White House is with Joe Biden winning 
and picking Klobuchar, which would be a sensible VP choice. I mean, you're from Minnesota. She's her electoral history is strong. I mean, she's she's improved. Uh, she's impressed. I think you know much more than a Beto. Like I, you know, uh, so I think coming out of that from yesterday, you have. The bottom, who can rise up from the bottom? I think Marianne and uh, and John Delaney, I think, are at least in that conversation. Um, maybe Bullock a little bit. That middle area is a weird one, though, because Buttigieg, I, again, I don't think, and I want to definitely talk about yeah. um, you know his comments, which I just I don't understand. But, I mean, you have uh, Beto, who I thought was better than last time, but, I mean, my ex- my expectations are so low now, he's actually exceeding them. Texas is, is in play. Yeah. Texas, I lost it, but Texas is in play. Right. Yeah, I didn't didn't under, well, and he was uh, to brag about your campaign and how well you ran it. Yeah. Like, I I guess it wasn't that great, was it? I know. It really is fascinating. (laughs) He is bizarre. I was the great second-place finisher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I really thought that probably the— even though I thought Delaney and Williamson probably did the best job as to where they were, that probably the winner of the night to me was Warren because Warren didn't make any big mistakes. She she had a couple of good moments uh, that went sort of viral. And, like, the bottom line is out of that socialist wing, I just don't see how you can pick Bernie. He's so— angry and terrible and i i just don't understand it at all and if they they run bernie sanders i mean he's a disaster you know i think warren is also tailor-made for donald donald trump so it's very dangerous but if you're going to pick somebody out of that socialist wing you're going to get the same policies in a much better package i think with elizabeth warren which is not a high hur- I mean, this is not a high hurdle to clear i mean the, she's not a good candidate by any means but I mean, if you're going to pick someone who's a socialist you probably go there. I just don't understand if you're going to go with someone with that policy structure, why not just do Kamala Harris? Mm-hmm. You're going to get a much better candidate um, and you're not going to have to deal with the, I, you know, I, she is made in a lab to lose to Donald Trump and that is not a good idea. But hey, go she's ahead. Go ahead. Right go she's ahead. just keeping her head down and she's not making any mistakes and so she's sort of just creeping up. That's how she's, that's how she's surviving. Yeah. One ten twenty fourth of a step at a time. Slow <laughs> <laughs> and steady. Do, Aaron, do you find her to be genuine when she speaks? Elizabeth. Sometimes, actually. I mean, you know, you may disagree, but sometimes I feel like she does believe what she's saying. She's certainly good at making it seem like she does, and mm-hmm. I think that's important. It comes across in a way that does connect with people more than a Bernie Sanders who's just screaming at you like an old man who's just a hate And pointing, everything. too. It's very aggressive. Yeah, he's, he's very demonstrative. but <laughs> He's mean. He is. He's mean. He's a mean guy. Yeah, but he's desperate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I really do. Oh, yeah. he's, he, Although I will say, Stu, I mean, he probably has a reason. I mean, not probably. He has a reason to have a chip on his shoulder this time around. Sure. You know? Well, I mean, he's going into it knowing that he was screwed the last time around. Yeah, I mean, look, he lost by 4 million votes. Would that have made it? I don't know. I mean, I, but I understand that's certainly how he feels. I will say this, though. I mean, I do not think Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee. But right. there is nobody who's, who is going to come out of this with a bigger victory than Bernie Sanders. The man has dragged one of our two major parties so far to the left. They've turned into him. Whether he wins or not, he's won. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren is him. Kamala Harris is him. Pete Buttigieg, in many ways, is him. I mean, what is, Biden is running as a moderate in a massive expansion of Obamacare that would be, is almost to the level of Medicare for all. I mean, he has he's moved the Overton window of our entire political system dramatically without winning, and that is impressive. I don't think that's wrong, but at the same time, because you now have a guy saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're going too far left, I think you have to give some credit to the right of things as well, the conservatives mm-hmm. here to say they've stayed on that consistent message of they're crazy, they're going too, going too far left. They know that they're going to go over the cliff, but they just don't care about going over the cliff. Yeah. Now that you have someone saying, and everybody's going, wait, that sounds, that sounds almost reasonable. Well, 
This sounds familiar. Like, was that like 20 years ago? What, what is that? This is like this, this cool toy I had as a kid that I forgot about all of a sudden, and they want to go back to that. So there's a, you're, you're right to say that, they, that Sanders had won the 2016 election because he brought the parties so far to the left, both parties, quite frankly. Yeah. But now that you have this other guy now saying, wait a minute, do we want to go over this edge or not? Yeah. And getting some airtime on that. It's, it depends on how it plays out, right? I mean, I think like, you know, it, it is they could easily pick a socialist and lose. But that, I think, is okay in, in a Bernie Sanders worldview, right? Like, even if they were to lose to Donald Trump, and, and if they could get this party to be the party of Bernie Sanders in a long-term sort of way, that's his dream, right? The guy's like 600 years old. I don't know how many, you know, I don't know how many elections he thinks he's going to be running. I mean, he may be running until he's 150, I don't know. Um, but, like, it is that sort of thing where, that's a dramatic difference. I mean, you know, he, this is a guy who in 2013 proposed Medicare for All and got zero co-sponsors on it. This is a guy who had n- no people were mocking his ideas in 2016. Hillary Clinton was mocking a lot of his ideas in 2016. And now everybody supports him. It's a dramatic shift. It's scary because the bottom line is no matter how strong you think Donald Trump is, you put a one-on-one scenario with anybody, you could lose. Look at what happened with John McCain. McCain was going to lose that election anyway. But he, there's no way he had a chance to win. No candidate could have won in that election with the economy collapsing a month before it. Mm-hmm. Something dramatic happens, Trump could easily lose. And if it's Sanders, if it's Warren, we could be looking at a legitimate fundamental transformation of our country. And that's terrifying. It should terrify all of us. Yeah. Uh, all right. Pete Buttigieg's uh, comments ripping conservative Christians when we come back. Let's do the continual source of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the chair. Yeah, it is. Pete Buttigieg last night had uh, some really harsh, interesting words for Christians when it comes to uh, taking care of the poor. Let's watch what he had to say. Some of this is low tech, too. Like, the minimum wage is just too low. And so-called conservative Christian senators right now in the Senate are blocking a bill to raise the minimum wage when Scripture says that whoever oppresses the poor taunts their maker. Mayor, thank you very much. Ugh. Aaron, thoughts? He has this habit of whenever a Christian or any kind of Christian disagrees with him politically, suddenly they're not good Christians anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he's using a Bible verse to justify a $15 minimum wage or whatever the bill is. And the pro- first problem I have with this is that it, it obscures the debate on minimum wage. You know, it, it's not that conservatives think we don't want this higher minimum wage because we want poor people to stay poor. That's not what it's <laughs> about. It's the fact that a million or more people could lose their job if this goes up. Businesses could not be able to pay workers. And so there's a lot of consequences to it, but he's framing it in this black and white way that demonizes conservatives. And certainly Pete Buttigieg, who's pretty freaking smart, knows that. I mean, this is just him pandering and bashing Christians, you know, to to, to, to do it. It's disgraceful. The frustrating part about it is that he does know. And we've seen him do this with Mike Pence. We've seen him do this on other issues with his faith to weaponize it politically to advance his agenda. Uh, but the interesting thing is he doesn't, he doesn't want you to read the Bible literally when it comes to marriage. Mm-hmm. If you do that, then you're a bad Christian like Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. He doesn't want you to read the Bible literally when it comes to abortion and the value of life and things like that. And so the selectivity of it to where he just picks and chooses these, these times that he can use the Bible to justify something as strange as a minimum wage, not paying somebody $15 an hour is not oppressing the poor. You know, that's a disingenuous way to view it. But it, it's, it's dangerous because... 
this appeals to people. This appeals to people who want to be able to take things out of the Bible and use them when it serves them and not use them when it doesn't. And it's, a, it's an appealing thing, a progressive Christianity that's sort of growing in this country. And it's effective. You hear the standing ovation he gets after he says that, but it's insulting to people who are actually Christians, who follow the Bible, who are consistent with it, to hear him do that, to hear him demonize it that way. And who, and who also give a lot of money in charity. Mm-hmm. To a lot of organizations, just because they're not saying they're okay with the minimum wage, still. Yeah, I mean, because certainly uh, the main point of the Bible <laughs> does not endorse a minimum wage. It does not endorse a federal minimum wage at any point in the Bible. If, if you could show it to me, let me know. He said it's in Proverbs. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it talks about the individual soul, not the government's heart. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to put a heart in the government to make it nicer. Like, it's about changing individuals and, and what you do. And that's what they're, when they're talking about, obviously, you know, I mean, we all know this, right? They're talking about helping the poor. It's talking about you as an individual. It's not mm-hmm. talking about a government policy. I I almost feel like, because I mean, that's the more important point. I'm fascinated, though, as to how this guy thinks this is a good idea. Like, he is, because you're right, this is not once. He does this seemingly every time, time he's in public. Since he started running, he's been doing it. And, and he really thinks this is a good thing to do. I'm fascinated as to who's telling him it's a good thing to do. Um, because, you know, you're talking about, like, I think, like, he's getting, the only thing I can... Track, trace it to is you know he goes on CNN afterwards and they 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 praise him for these points he gets big points on social media he gets lots of attention everyone lauds on the left lauds him for these things and the reason they do that is because they see Christianity as a, a tool to attack Republicans they see it like they don't care if uh, if if God says uh, you know um, cheating on your wife is wrong but when they can say hey that Christian over there is cheating on his wife he's a he they they love that as a tool or on immigration yeah or an immigration right like where they think they can tie it it's it's their way of saying like this thing that's important to them we can use it against them and i can understand why someone who's a hardcore leftist with like on cnn is going to say oh wow that's a good thing nail them we got them why someone who thinks they need to actually get midwestern votes would think that's a good idea mm-hmm. is completely on the other side of the world to me. I mean, the fact that Buttigieg, who's supposed to be running as kind of a moderate in this race, thinks that insulting Christians and talking down to Christians about Christianity while on stage, I mean, that is a fascinating thing. And part of me thinks that there's a part, there may be a strategy here in that he's trying to goad um, some prominent right-wing Christian to come out and attack him on some of his personal life and all of those other things so that he could be the victim here, you know? That's it. Uh, You think he's trying to draw fire? That that means he's trying to point out the hypocrisy on the other side. But that's that's the same exact thing Mm -hmm. is to say, well, uh, you've got that little speck in your eye. Don't worry about this this big log in mine. Mm -hmm. You get that speck, that's a problem here. And if you come back to attack it, then then all of a sudden I'm the victim and you can play that card as well. Right. But it's extremely odd that he would criticize folks for not following Scripture correctly, have all the positions that he has politically that are inconsistent with Scripture, and yet say he is a follower of Christ himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Denies all these things, say they're almost bad, and I identify still with, well, why are you identifying with these things that you say are bad mm-hmm. if they're, in fact, actually very helpful to yeah. us? It's like he's, he's, I, I do feel like there's a political thing here where he's basically taunting, pick, pick your favorite fire-breathing right-wing you know, Christian to come out and say something bad about 
his marriage, right. his personal life, something, so that then he could bring that to his donors and he, we can get two weeks of a news cycle out of how this poor guy is being attacked by right-wing Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, if there's a philosophy there, that's the only one I can kind of stretch it into, but it just seems like ill-advised. This guy could be likable, he's smart, he could actually attract votes from Michigan and Wisconsin. But if you're just continually insulting Christians and saying that their beliefs are are you know are, are against their own faith i mean I, that is not a strategy to it's win like if you're a christian why do you want to sabotage your own faith in that way instead of mm -hmm. yeah. trying to unify trying mm -hmm. to improve you're just dividing or attacking yeah um before we move on now you know while we're talking about uh debates night one illegal immigration i felt was a really really big topic last night um elizabeth warren came out and said Yes, I support decriminalization mm -hmm. um, of crossing over. And um, Stu, what are your thoughts on the emotional messaging that they used to try to portray illegal immigration as just, you know, these are mothers and children? And yeah. That the, how could you not let them in? I, I did like when, when Elizabeth Warren said she's seen uh, cages for babies. Those are just called cribs. I don't know if anyone knows that. That's what they are. Okay, I hate to break this to you. They're in every like uh, you know every baby store. Every babies are us if they still exist around America. Um, yeah, no, I mean you know she's she's particularly bizarre on this one. I I did like the idea that you know if her if the people of her heritage, the Native Americans didn't have open borders, they might still be running the country. Uh, that this is, she should be, if anyone, uh, Elizabeth Warren should be aware of how this can go. Um, it's, it's a, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a problem, though, I think, like, because for the, if you're a Democrat, and again, I don't care if Democrats, you know, I don't want them to be president, so I don't care. But if you are a Democrat and you do care about, about a Democrat winning the White House, an important thing is to not outwardly support stuff like decriminalizing the border, um, like giving illegal immigrants uh, free health care, like, uh, you know, um, I mean, several of these immigration policies that are tied to this are, are polling around 26 percent, you know, including uh, Medicare for mm -hmm. all and you know, eliminating private insurance. Sanders and Warren support all three of those. And they're all uh, underwater with Democrats, mm -hmm. not just Republicans. So they're going so far left that I don't know how you tack back if you're Elizabeth Warren or Sanders. Um, you know, look, people pe people do want immigrants to come here uh, legally, and 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 we celebrate them. I mean, legitimately, it is a big part of our country, and I love it. I love immigrants coming here. It's like it's an all-star team. It's these people from all around the country who had the balls to like come all the way over here and to go through this awful process we put them through to become citizens and. All of that is, is 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 something that I think builds character, not detracts from it. But when you're when your first step into the country is a crime, and that's the first thing you're doing when you're trying to become part of the society, I don't see how it ends well. I was surprised that there were several people on stage who were openly making the point that if we give them this health care, if we decriminalize it, of course it's going to incentivize more people coming and it's going to increase the problem. So mm -hmm. there were probably two or three people on stage making that point, but yeah. to your point about the emotional mm -hmm. case against it, it makes them sound like they're not compassionate or that they don't care about these people. And so it's an uphill battle, even though logic and reason is on their side, mm -hmm. the emotions and the, you know, the compassion is not on their side. Yeah. Jeremy, last word. I think they're chasing their own tail again, right? It, you, you get some that are saying, no, stop, don't go over the cliff. And some say, no, let us go over the cliff. Well, which one's going to win out? Yeah. All right. We'll be back. You should get some substance out of that, too. I thought CNN did a decent job. I, I for CNN. Yeah.
Uh, before we go into overtime on the topic of uh, illegal immigration, Bernie Sanders, remember he said, a mother and child who walk a thousand miles fleeing violence are not criminals. End of discussion. That is fascinating. Jeremy, I don't know if there's a legal standard here of the uh, immunity to crimes if you walk a long way. Is that a <laughs> thing? I Go out on your nearest interstate and walk along the shoulder. And when the police call you over, say, I'm just walking. What? It's just, <laughs> I've been walking. I'm going to ask you how far you've walked, though. Yeah, exactly. What if you walk 500 miles and then you walk 500 more? Uh, <laughs> no, we just need to go out. <laughs> he did say 1,000. This is true. To be the man who walked a thousand miles. See? <laughs> Fall down at your door? Yeah. I can't. I'm Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze TV subscribers. Not a subscriber? Start your free trial at blazetv.com. All right, Jeremy, here from First Liberty, you guys always bring us the uh, the best religious liberty cases and stories that we're not hearing about anywhere else. So what do you, what do you have for us today? Well, this week, um, the South Dakota legislature has passed a law and the governor signed it into to law uh, that says that all of their schools are going to have to display the national motto. And that national motto, and you may want to have the censor button Uh-oh. at you ready, Uh-oh. because some people view this as a dirt, dirty Uh-oh. word that you can't, exactly, <laughs> it is in God we trust. And if you're not familiar with that, let me just give you a big history I on this, right? I want to watch your mouth, but. <laughs> yeah. In God we trust is, is goes all the way back to, I mean, the founding of our country. In the War of 1812, Francis Scott Key is sitting in the harbor. He writes the Star-Spangled Banner. The fourth verse says what? And this be our motto, in God is our trust. So somehow, before we've gone through three presidents, that's become a pretty big deal, that we could actually say that this is actually our motto. Uh, by 1864, I think it is, it's on our, our, our coins, or one and two cent pieces. By 1956, President Eisenhower signs that into law as the official national motto. 57, it becomes on our paper currency. And now it's everywhere. It's on the Speaker's rostrum in the House of Representatives, everywhere else. But some groups, some individuals don't like this. In fact, one group said that this is an attempt in South Dakota. It's inaccurate misinformation designed to brainwash our school children. Hmm. Not jumping the shark at all, of course, to say any of that stuff, but it's it's brainwashing here. I mean, can't can't be the case. Look, every single circuit court of appeal that has addressed this, so the courts below the Supreme Court of the United States, and there are now uh, 11 of those courts that have reviewed this. I think there's only one that hasn't. All of them have said, yeah, and God we trust is perfectly fine. In fact, there's a great quote from the uh, the Ninth Circuit. I think we have it up on the screen. Yeah, here it is. Uh, from Aaron Alvarez of the United States. This is 1970, and they say it's quite obvious that the national motto and the slogan on coinage and currency, In God We Trust, has nothing whatsoever to do with the establishment of religion. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty that's clear. That's pretty clear. <laughs> and let me re- reiterate, that was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And in 2013, I believe it was, they had another chance to look at that. They said, no, we still hold this to be good law. The Supreme Court has basically said the same thing because they haven't changed any of those circuit court opinions at all out there. So, in other words, the moral of the story here is, number one, In God We Trust is a significant part of our history. It's a big part of our heritage. It's perfectly legal and constitutional. Uh, Many of the courts will say something effective. It it doesn't have anything to do with religion at all, let alone the establishment of religion as under the First Amendment. So leave it up there. If you have it on your school walls, leave it there. If it's above your speaker's rostrum, it's okay to be there. If you want it in your, this is always the part that always frustrates me, these groups that want a God we trust off of everything will gladly take your dollar bill to be able to fund their efforts that says (laughs) in God we trust. (laughs) But, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that I'm frustrated by. We have to continue to, to bring this issue up all the time and defend against it. 
But if you're getting a letter in the city council or the county commission because you have in God we trust somewhere, just ignore the letter. Or better yet, give me a call and I'll be glad to make a big deal about it <laughs> and go back through the history lesson about everything you need to know here. It's perfectly constitutional, perfectly legal, and it's a good thing. Uh, we actually even pr uh, print bumper stickers at firstliberty.org that you can get, a little window cling that says, In God We Trust, so that you can join in with this whole thing, too, if you want to. Put it on the back of your car so that you make the guy stuck behind you in traffic that doesn't <laughs> yeah. like religious liberty really angry. Yeah. We uh, don't want to cause a road rage incident. <laughs> Put it on the side, maybe. Yeah, be proud of what <laughs> the, the law allows and what our heritage is here. And, and this is just, again, it's just I'm surprised I actually have to talk about this yet again, but then again, and that's like all of the cases I bring you guys. That, yeah, we got to talk about this again. Mm -hmm. In God We Trust continues to be a concern for others. It is, what do they say, brainwashing of American school children? Come on, the only brainwashing that's trying to be taking place here is by those who would want to wipe that away from our history and our heritage. It's not going to happen, not on our watch. You do bring up a really great point about brainwashing, because, I mean, isn't that the entire problem, Stu, is that we're not teaching our kids history anymore at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I I learned things in the last couple of minutes. I did. I, I I knew it had a history. I did not know it went all the way back to you know. There's actually some, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I think it's true. Uh, David Barton and I were talking about this not long ago that uh, Ben Franklin raised up a militia in the Revolutionary War, and their battle flag was "In God We Trust." Jeez. Added and on Franklin's it, so. supposed to be the guy that doesn't you know doesn't care about <laughs> God at all, right? Um, yeah, so, you know, we're in a, uh, I, first of all, thank God you guys do this stuff because, I mean, no one would be doing it. Let me uh, attempt to find a way to push back gently uh, on this a little in that, like, because, number one, uh, you're 100% right, totally constitutional, should be completely allowed. Uh, it, it's, it's a great thing, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of God. I, I, I like him. Are you? Uh, yeah, I like him. I think, I think so. he's pretty all cool. Right. I, I think he's cool. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, what do you think about the 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 state though requiring it in the schools like because I feel like if I'm a if I'm a school and you know and I want to put that up I'm great you should be able to do it there's absolutely no way constitutionally they can stop you from doing it um, and there's I mean there really shouldn't even be a a, a, a conversation about that I mean that's it's just really it's not there but when you're talking about a state saying hey you must put in God we trust on your wall is is that the state sort of I, I, I mean, I don't think it's unconstitutional, but do you like it? Yeah, no, it's a political question, right? And as a as an ardent federalist, I'm going to say if the states want to try to move that kind of stuff, then by all means do. And if mm -hmm. the people don't like it, guess what? They have a recourse to that. Get rid of the guys yeah. that were in there and put new ones in that they'll correct the problem. It is I, a I think public that, school, too, which is an important part Exactly, right. exactly. So that's where the requirement. And, and the push is not just simply to be we want to have it emblazoned in big, bold letters on the front door or something like that, sure. although they can do that. Mm -hmm. It's to create a, uh, to remind the students of what they've been missing in a lot of their history courses, yeah. to say this is an important part of who we are. There's a reason why we wanted to have this as our national motto, and they're putting it back out in front in hopes, I think, of not only educating them, but also saying, where did this come from and why is it important to us as a nation? Yeah. Uh, and by the way, they have different ways of being able to do it. They, I mean, if they want to chisel it in the walls, they can do that. Mm -hmm. If they want to create a statue, they can do that. If they want to create a, um, a paint or if they want to just put a poster up in the back room, it's up to them to how they want to display it in their schools individually. But they have the freedom to do so. And those that come over here, this is where my problem is, of course, they come and say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't put these back up in the, in the, uh, in the schools at all because that would violate the separation of church and state, so-called. Mm. Well, that's just baloney. Let's just take that one off the table. Yeah. That's been taken off the table. If you want to really put your cards on the table, put them out there to say, I hate this being in public at all. Anything that has the word God in it in public, I have a problem with. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I can start to fight you on a different playing field, yeah, I be suppose. Be honest about it, though. Be honest about it, exactly. Don't call this some sort of 
a brainwashing of American school children because it, you're actually trying to brainwash them yourselves by saying this is not who we are as a country, when in fact it's deeply who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aaron, you want to jump in? I just think it's funny they say it's brainwashing school children. All the things that get taught in public schools <laughs> that we're worried about now and in God We Trust, it's a thing. This is when you're making a big that's deal. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I'm not sure so about that. Yeah, we've got drag queens coming to libraries right. for story time, but we're worried about <laughs> in God We Trust, right? Exactly. Uh, all right, so, Stu, let's start uh, talking about tonight's debate. Okay, yeah, let's take a quick look. I feel um, like we should have brought alcohol I, for this one. I, I'm Missed opportunity, again, sorry. You, and I always blame you for such uh, mistakes. <laughs> uh, so there's 10 more people. Um, there. Uh, it is exhausting. Did you hear everybody sigh in that last moment? <laughs> it hurts. This it hurts. is the last two debate situation, though, I think. It should be, yeah. I mean, I, we, it does look like, because they're going to raise the standards, I don't think you're going to get more than 10 in uh, the, the next uh, debate um, round, because you've got 130,000 donors, and you need to get uh, to, you know, that high bar of 2% mm. in multiple polls. So it's going to be difficult. But, you know, someone like uh, you know, Michael Bennett, ha what's his path to that? I don't know what mm -hmm. it is at this point. I mean, it'd be very difficult. Um, but so this field is kind of interesting. Um, obviously, that the sort of headline battle is going to be Kamala versus Biden part two. Um, everyone kind of knows that dynamic. Number one, though, with Biden, you, he's now he's had his wake up call, right? Mm -hmm. He's had weeks and weeks to prepare for this. He should understand where these things are coming from. He should understand how to defend them. If he cannot defend himself in this debate, if I'm a Democrat, I don't want him as our nominee because this is a guy who, if he can't handle this, he's not going to be able to handle Trump. No. You know, he, Trump is going to be coming at him from directions he's not going to be able to see coming constantly, and he has to be quick on his feet. If he can't do this with weeks and weeks of preparation, it's a major problem. He may not be spry enough uh, to, to handle this sort of pressure. Are you sure it's a wake-up call? Because I think over time, he kind of bounced back in the polls, and he didn't really get hurt by that Kamala thing that was a big deal for a while, but now he's right back on top. Well, I think that um, what I'm saying is, like, the, the initial debate was the wake-up call, mm -hmm. right? So, like, this is, you know, because I think, I think in, in some ways reasonably, it's a little bit hard to excuse, but in some ways reasonably, he didn't expect a, an attack coming from that He's place. the heir apparent. He's the heir apparent. Kamala, you could see them being close. Like, you could see you could see a situation where a Biden-Harris ticket was a real thing. I don't know if it is now, but you could have seen that before this. The fact that he would challenge, she would challenge him in a way like, basically, hey, I think you might be a racist in the middle of this debate, <laughs> is like, I, I don't think he expected it, and it showed. Mm -hmm. Now he expects it. Now he's, you know, this happened to Barack Obama and Mitt Romney in the first debate that they had, where I think Romney or Obama thought he was just going to kind of cruise through this. This was going to be easy. And, and Romney smoked him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That second debate, he came back much stronger. You have to be able to adjust like that. And I think that is the biggest thing you're going to see out of this. I'll get a couple of the sidelines, which I think are interesting. Tulsi Gabbard, since that first debate, has been doing nothing but running an interference for, for Joe Biden. Yes. I, I really think that she either wants to be his VP or wants to be a Secretary of Defense. Mm. Uh, she's he, she said that Kamala Harris um, uh, is not qualified to be president. She said that uh, he was she was that the attack on the busing thing was without substance, which of course she's right on that. Um, <laughs> I would not be surprised to see Gabbard jumping in to defend Joe here and kind of showing that a little bit of an alliance forming. And uh, so I think that's something Harris should be prepared for going into this. Um, I, a couple of other things. I mean, de Blasio's nuts. He's further. He will try to position himself further left to the left of Bernie Sanders. And he, I think, will. I would be very surprised if he's not attacking Biden straight on. He wants the viral moment. He's struggling. He has no shame. He'll do anything for attention. 
He's the type of person that, like, again, Biden should be worried about because de Blasio will say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then you have, I mean, past that, Castro had a good first debate, uh, but it did not do, it all, what it did, it was it destroyed Beto. It did not help him. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether he can kind of rise to that level to get into the next round of debates is sort of on the line here, I would say. Um, Booker, I think Booker had this situation where he came out first and criticized Biden for his comments and then got none of the love from the media. Kamala got it all. I think he was kind of like, hey, that was my thing. And she kind of <laughs> took it. And so I would not be surprised at all to see Booker go after Biden straight on to try to create that same sort of moment where he can get some momentum. And this is Gillibrand do or die. I mean, she was yes. actually not terrible in the first debate, but still nobody noticed. She's at zero percent in almost every poll, occasionally getting to one. But this has been a complete disaster for Gillibrand. I feel like if she can't do something here and make a little bit of noise, she's the next big one to drop out. Aaron, do you agree? Yeah, and I think this debate will be a lot more interesting. Uh, you've got some personalities that are a little bit more volatile, de Blasio, Booker, <laughs> Kamala. So I think you could see some more sparks flying in this situation than you did in the debate last night, which was more about policy and things like that. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I do think Biden does have to show something. I mean, it's it's one thing to be in the lead, but are you going to coast all the way? Are you yeah. going to show something to inspire people to make them think that you really have something besides, well, I was Barack Obama's friend, and so I'll be okay. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from him, and I think he needs to do more than that. But I am looking forward to hopefully seeing some of these candidates drop out. Yeah. yeah. So we it's can about move time. on. Yeah. Um, I think this is painfully long last night. Yeah. So well, two and a half hours. Yeah. Two and a half hours. Too long. And nobody's talking for more than 10 minutes, five minutes. You know, it's not, yeah. right. not getting anywhere. Right. You're not. Right. I, I do think it's uh, this is not a terrible format in that, like, you give these people their chance to make the difference. If they can't do it in the first couple of debates, they're basically gone. Um, you know, and uh, you know, one that's kind of interesting, and this you'll see as they line up on the stage, obviously the biggest, you know, people who are most successful, Biden, Kamala, are in the middle, and they go out from there as kind of like third place, fourth place, fifth place. The person standing next to Kamala Harris tonight will be Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. This is a guy, he's outdone Gillibrand, he's outdone Gabbard, he's outdone de Blasio, he's outdone all of these people, uh, and he got basically no time at all to speak in the first debate. So, this is, again, probably do, he'll, he'll be able to get the donors because he's got a nice online base. But whether he can turn this into some sort of polling run to get into the next round is going to be interesting. And I, I, I mean, I think of all these Democrats, him and Gabbard are probably the two that are most friendly to uh, and, and not much. They're not very friendly, but kind of friendly to the conservative thing. I think the thing you see with Yang is you never see him calling Republicans a racist or they're not Christian enough for supporting his policies. He's at least respectful and I think thoughtful. He's going to give me $1,000 um, a month, too. And he's going to give you 1000 bucks a month, <laughs> which is pretty sweet. No matter what happens, though, don't forget that what you're seeing on the screen, what you're seeing on the undercard, that's your cabinet. Mm. More than likely. I mean, it, they will disappear here mm-hmm. in the next couple of months. You're going to have two people that are going to occupy the top of the ticket. That's your secretary of education, your secretary of housing, your secretary of uh, the the Department of Defense, Mm -hmm. all these things, intelligence, education. That's what's coming down this pike. And I think that's what people are elbowing out of the way to try to get themselves in a position to be able to do so that ultimately Beto can get up on top to be, I don't know what, the head the Department of State or I don't know what it's going to be. But, you know, something like that. that, That's what they're vying for. Yeah. Thanks for that nightmare. You're the one depressing us all. Uh, really quickly before we go, so Mario Lopez came out and he said some really, really inflammatory uh, uh-huh. comments on, 
Uh, um, he said he was talking about raising young young children, toddlers, as transgender. And he said, uh, I'm trying to understand it myself, and please don't lump me into that whole group. I'm kind of blown away. Look, I'm never one to tell anyone how to parent their kids, obviously. And I think if you come from a place of love, you really can't go wrong. But at the same time, my God, if you're three years old and you're saying you feel, you're feeling a certain way or you think you're a boy or a girl or whatever the case may be, I just think it's dangerous as a parent to make this determination then, well, okay, then you're going to be a boy or a girl. Uh, it's sort of alarming, and I just think about the repercussions later on. Well, people all over social media, everywhere, they want Mario Lopez now canceled. Oh, uh, and the human rights campaign tweeted out in response to this that Mario Lopez's comments are dangerous to the safety and well-being of LGBTQ youth, especially trans children who deserve to be loved and accepted for who they are. That is Still, a fascinating one. I'm pretty uh, sure he said, I think if you come from a place of love, you can't really go wrong. Right. So there's no... I'm qualified it a million times. It's just, you can never be good enough. You can't, you can't be good enough. I mean, he didn't even mention L, G, B, or Q. Yeah. And he's still getting <laughs> in trouble. Just the T. Just the T. Um, you know, look, I mean, obviously this is a very sensible uh, comment and that you should not uh, be... People at three years old should not make life-altering decisions. That's not, that's what, it is why you have parents, okay? Uh, this is, should not be a controversial thing. It wasn't as far as like last Tuesday. Uh, but now it is, I guess. Um, I, I always, w the thing I find, I think, most interesting about the whole gender, transgender debate is there's simultaneously two things that are true in today's world, which is one, like, gender is not at all important. You shouldn't focus on it. People should be able to go and do whatever gender they are. It's not important. What, you know, none of this is important. It's, at the same time, it's the most important thing in the world. Like, it, it, like if, if, if gender is fluid and you can go back and forth, what does it matter if you're, a boy, if you're living your life as a boy or a girl? Why is it important what clothing you're wearing? Mm -hmm. Why is that part of it? Like, I, I don't understand where it is. It is legitimately, simultaneously, super duper important. And it's the most important thing. You should only focus on it. But also, you should never focus on it. It's not important at all. Why are you focusing on it? That's it's, why you can never win when you talk about it. Because right. you're trapped on both sides. It, yeah. it feels like that postmodernism thing that Glenn was talking about with his last book. And it's just like, it, it, it's, a, it's not even an argument that someone could believe. They're, they're enforcing these standards that I can't imagine they actually think are true. There's no consistency. There's no logical consistency there. And, you know, to say that a three-year-old should not be making decisions that affect them for the rest of their life is not something that should be controversial. They want to eat paste. If you've ever been around <laughs> a three-year-old, you know they yeah. are not processing anything close to that. No. Yeah. I worry about them falling into the corner Please of tables. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> I don't so, so, Jeremy, you agree this is not a, this is not a dangerous comment? I think this is it what goes back to what we were talking about Pete Buttigieg earlier, right? That... Now I'm saying something, but I don't actually believe or that you know, we were talking about that hypocritical comment about the yeah. your article. Right. I mean, and you're exactly right. If if it's so fluid, then what's the problem here? Mm -hmm. What's the issue that's going on there? This this, again, reminds us that we've got to think very critically. We just can't consume the news. That's why we have the news and why it matters. That's why we're talking about these things. Think through what the implications of these arguments actually are. Mm -hmm. And don't trust the media to tell you what that is. Go think. Don't even trust us to tell you what's right about it. Go home and think about it. Talk to your, your, your priest, your rabbi, your pastor, whoever it is. Think through these eternal issues so that you have. I'm just here to be the guy to, to preserve you the space to be able to have those moral discussions on these things. Yeah. We ought to have them. Don't be afraid to have them. And certainly when a mob comes with pitchforks and, and um, torches towards a Mario Lopez, 
I mean, come on, guys, let's back off. Yeah. He, he's Slater, for goodness' sake. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he occupies a unique history, unique part of our American cultural history on things. He shouldn't be so castigated for not having this perfectly nuanced political discussion of the issue that seems to be growing and passing by the moment anyway. Yeah, it changes every every three days. So there's that Patton Oswalt thing he does on, uh, on uh, I think it was a Netflix special, mm-hmm. where he's just talking about, like, I, I, I'm a progressive and I cannot keep track of these things. Like, yeah. can you stop yelling at me? I'm trying to keep up with you. Uh, and it's true. It's like, I, even if you want to do these things, I don't think you can. And it's like Mario Lopez is not known for his deep you know, <laughs> thinking on all of these issues. He's just. A, why are you even asking him the question? I was wondering why, how did he get to yeah, that. How did that topic? happen? What are we doing? That's a great. That's a great question. I don't have that on my card. Like it, you ask someone. <laughs> we saw on uh, Candace Owens' show, I think, and she brought it up somehow. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, but you ask. Well, you just come sit right here, then, Jeremy. <laughs> no, you know more than me. <laughs> but it's like you're going to ask a question like that, and you know, like let, you have to live a little bit of room for a person who is not in the world of thinking of these things every day. If a politician says something and you think it's controversial, okay, but it's like a guy like Mario Lopez is is, is not a person who. Should should need to nail that sentence perfectly. We really ought to put this into about a 25-minute sitcom of high school students to oh. kind of sort through these oh, issues wow. and have a moral point at the end. Can you yeah. think of a name? An idea. I mean, some of the bell. Okay. Hey, don't give away to the people. Let's talk about that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Last night's poll was, of course, about last night's debate. Uh, who will be the big winner? Uh, uh, you guys picked, of course, President no. Trump. No, who will be the big winner? Stu, who said 94% it's and was by far the closest. You were the closest. Stu was the closest. He won that. President Trump, 96%. Uh, Bernie Sanders, 2%. Elizabeth Warren, 2%. And Robert Francis, one percent. I think probably the answer really is Trump too. I mean, oh yeah. I, you know, I mean, because if you're going to say anyone from the Democrats, it's probably Warren, and that's a win for Trump. Right. I just think it's funny that O'Rourke actually registered on that poll. I know. <laughs> really mentioned his name more that's than three than times. Better than he does in national polls. <laughs> <laughs> and then today's poll uh, again. Who won last night's debate? Okay, that's so it's going to be the one uh, coming up for tonight, essentially. Like, well, it says San- no, it's for tonight. It was from, from last night, but it's President Trump is not included. Okay. I, I get, they're kind of, that's night. kind of a recycle, guys. Okay, we're on to you. Uh, the choices are Sanders, Warren, Delaney, or Williamson. Out of those Williamson, Marianne, my girl Marianne. Well, you know where Sarah's going on this. Of one. course. You know, Bias. She's, getting it. she's getting it mentally. Well, she Beto. has to say it. <laughs> You've uh, abandoned Beto. You have. Well, he's not on the... I think, uh, abandoned I think would mean that I ever was on the, yeah. the Robert Francis ship. I'll go Delaney on that one. I think he actually did his job. I mean, I don't, it's not, not going to make much We're of a talking difference. talking about him today. He, yeah, right. he did his job. Yeah, no one knew who he was yesterday. Do you agree? I think you have to go with Williamson. Debates are superficial, and it's all yeah. about attention and name recognition. I think she gained the most. So Fair. Yeah. I'm with Delaney. I mean, I, I, I literally did not know him until yesterday, or today. Yeah. I actually didn't even know him last night. I knew him today when I was listening to the news this morning on my run. So, yeah. I mean, he did all right. He broke through the chatter. That's funny. Uh, let us know what you think at The Blaze's Twitter. That is at The Blaze. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. We've got to keep Marianne in these debates. It's the only thing making him unfortunate. Is she close, you know? Yeah, I think she actually would that. Thanks for listening to the News and Why It Matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.